Hey, this is Leslie, host of the Rogue Ones podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. You know, I did this limited series in 2018 and 2019. The world was a wildly different place, but knowing that people are still listening to it now and benefiting from these stories brings immense satisfaction. So thank you. If you want to keep up with my own rogue adventures, you can follow me on Substack. Yes, I have one too. An easy link to find that is leslieethompson.com slash Substack. I write on there frequently, but then I'll also post audio vignettes that don't fit into a typical podcast framework. I've been busy, and I bet you have been too, Rogue One. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Now, here's the episode, and I hope you enjoy. You are now listening to the Rogue Ones podcast, conversations with extraordinary people doing fascinating things that will encourage us to live with a bend toward the remarkable. This guest, while seemingly a little rough around the edges, lives life with an immense amount of gratitude and appreciation for all he's been given, and has proceeded to give it all back to his community. Thanks for joining me today. Keep listening. Hey, I'm Leslie Eiler Thompson. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll remember rogue number nine, Jim Windler. He's an iconic power lifter and someone who my husband introduced me to when we started dating in 2009. I say introduced, and by that I mean he told me about his work and how it had affected his life. We didn't know him personally, so welcoming him onto the Rogue Ones podcast was an honor. In that episode, Jim references someone named Dave Tate and the company Elite FTS. These were two other names I heard a lot about from my then-boyfriend 10 years ago, and today I get to welcome the legendary Dave Tate on the Rogue Ones podcast. Dave Tate, former powerlifter and trainer, founded Elite Fitness Systems 20 years ago as a way to continue to do the sport he loved while pouring into others and encouraging them to do the same. Elite is also a high-end gym equipment outfitter, which ultimately funds the unmeasurable amount of free content they give to those who have ears to listen. Dave gives away the same kind of knowledge he was gifted when he needed it most as a severely bullied teen. Labeled as learning disabled as a young child, Dave was an easy target for other kids, and oftentimes he would find himself being attacked on his walks home from school. Then he found the gym and athletics. His coaches and weight training mentors poured wisdom into him that eventually led to him graduating college, something that was never expected. He got stronger, not just physically, but mentally. He learned resolve and he decided he wanted to devote his life to helping others do the same. Eventually, Dave would join the most iconic and epic powerlifting group in the world, Westside Barbell, headed up by Louis Simmons. Dave is an author, a business owner, former pro powerlifter, and an icon in the strength world. In light of all these accolades, Dave has said that his greatest accomplishment in life has been marrying his wife and adopting his two boys the oldest of which is autistic, a label Dave had trouble accepting as it took him back to the days of isolated loneliness as a learning disabled child. His openness to talk about all areas of his life makes this conversation so special, and I'm grateful to have him on. We sat in the middle of the elite FTS gym and talked for a recorded three hours and 23 minutes. This episode is edited, but for a video of the full version, you can go to rogueonespodcast.com and find a link to the video on their channel. When you watch, 
you'll see the two of us sitting at the legendary Elite FTS table, where they film their own podcast, Table Talk, while we sip Monster Energy drinks. In keeping with Elite FTS's 20-year tradition of freely answering questions from hobbyists or aspiring powerlifters, Dave takes to Instagram once a week for an AMA session, answering most all questions that come his way. They can be in lifting, life, or business. Some of them aren't worth answering, but some cut straight to the heart of why Dave does what he does. Here are some examples that are more about business. What are your three tips for daily success? Would you do anything differently if you could start your training career again? Then there are a ton of technical questions like this. Tipping forward coming out of the hole while squatting, please help. Or how to get the most out of floor press for raw bencher. And then there's stuff like this. You're on death row. You can have anything you want for your last meal. What is it? That last one had me so darn curious. So that's where we start our conversation. I think you'll be surprised by the answer. It doesn't actually have anything to do with food at all. I'm now delighted to introduce you to the one and only rogue number 19, Dave Tate. Mm -hmm. To start with. Mm -hmm. So the first one is, um, you're on death row. You can have anything you want for your last meal. What is it? Do you remember what you answered? No, I don't. But grilled cheese. Yeah, I, th I was going to say grilled cheese, but <laughs> I was, I think that comes from, you know, when I was a kid, you know, my mom or my grandma would always, you know, for lunch, they make grilled cheese. So it's, it's more the memory type factor. Mm. That's what it would be if I could have that, you know, and then at least I would be able to think back, you know, to things oh, so that you, I remember. You answered that from a very like thoughtful, yeah. this is my last meal. What would I want to remember? Yeah. Cause you can eat anything, right? So right. let's eat something that's going to at least give me some type of memorable thought. Mm -hmm. There's other things I know that will go through my mind when that when I die, you know, mm -hmm. when the time comes, I know for a fact will go through my mind, but there's other things that I know won't where the grilled cheese sandwich would stimulate some of those other mm. things that I would like to think about before I'm gone. Well, that's brilliant. I wasn't, ex I was expecting you to say like, <laughs> I just love a good grilled no, cheese. No, no. The other one, they asked your favorite movie and you said Coyote Ugly. And I just wanted to ask, why Coyote Ugly? Oh, okay. It was a joke. See, that yeah. was, I wondered. It's, it's when people ask me things like, what's your favorite movie and what's, I really don't, I don't have one, you know, it's, I, there's a lot of movies that I like, you know, for a certain period of time. Then you go back and watch it again. Yeah. And it's like, I could say, yeah, you know, Rocky was awesome. Yeah. You know, but if I watch it now, it's like, ah, not those. So, right. You know, so I'm not like a movie buff. Sure. TV shows are more my attention span. Well, good. I'm glad Coyote Ugly, because I was just, my question was going to be why. Let's start with, um, you, you've kind of built this empire, almost this, this company that works to educate and um, facilitate strength mm -hmm. athletes. Where did this interest for powerlifting, where did this come from? When I was 12, I was put into a powerlifting gym. So that's the short answer. My It started with my uncle, I believe, buying me a weight set for Christmas. And it's just the plastic type of weights. So I'd spend three hours in the basement just doing every single exercise in the book every single day. Mm. And my dad saw that I had an interest in that. He owned his own small business and knew uh, the chief for narcotics that was an, associated with Finley Barbell Club and asked him if it'd be okay if I went there and trained with those guys because it was a private key club, okay. which was a powerlifting club. And so they took me in. They really didn't help me that much at first. You know, they just, I just did my own stuff. 
after a few months, they pulled me aside and said, hey, look, there's a meet coming up in Canton, Ohio. You're going to do it. Like, hmm. What the hell is the power? What, what is this? Well, you squat, bench, and deadlift. Okay, that's cool. I know how to do those. Uh-huh. I turned 13, and then a couple months after that, I did my first powerlifting meet. Hmm. And it was a different system than what they use today. Today, they use a round system. Before, it was more What do more you mean, like, round system? Um, everybody does their first attempt, then everybody does their second attempt, okay. then everybody does their third. Where before, it was like a round robin. You started with the weight being the, the lightest, okay. and then it went up to the heaviest. So because I was the weakest... I did my lift, and then I had two minutes, and then I had to do my second lift. Oh, no. And then two minutes, and I'd have to do my third lift. Uh-huh. Then they would raise the bar 200 pounds. And then one of Louis Simmons's um, females came out and oh. did her first lift. Oh. And I thought at the time, this is the sport for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> because if I'm getting killed, I mean, absolutely killed, then there's a lot of room to grow. Where did that attitude come from, though? Because I feel like a lot of people would have felt defeated. Before... That period of time, I was, and this is before, you know, all the different labels that you have now, but I was labeled as learning disabled. So school was always really hard for me. And so I got picked on a lot. So the one thing, things that I remember from elementary school is, you know, we had, everybody had their little desk. My desk had a little picture of a clock Mm. in the corner of it that would say like 10 o'clock or it was, it was permanent. That's when I had to leave the room to go see the tutor. And I remember thinking, they can't possibly think that I'm so stupid that I don't know to to look at the clock to be able to go see the tutor. So because of that, I wasn't in the classes with everybody else, you know, most of the time. And then that led to being beat up, picked on. There was a point in time before it was in the sixth grade where... I was walking home from school and it was normal for somebody to, you know, throw me on the ground, kick me, you know, just spit on me or whatever it was going to be. It's kind of a normal process. And I was walking home and it was going through, like crossing through a street. One of the kids had a tether ball. Well, he took that and he kind of lassoed my legs, you know, and, you know, got me down on the ground and then just beat the shit out of me and then turned me around, shoved my face into the ground. And I remember sitting there and all these other kids were laughing and kind of cheering it on. And I couldn't do anything about it because I didn't have the self-esteem to do anything about it. And I'm being kicked, you know, and being kicked by a few of the different kids. And just sat there thinking, how long am I going to take this? And all I remember is getting up on uh, all fours and getting kicked, you know, in the side. And it didn't hurt. And I realized, you know, something's going on here. And I realized I was fucking mad. You know, I was pissed. And then the moment I stood up, they all laughed and kind of went away. But my mind, it was like, this is the last time anything ever like this is going to happen again. Mm. And then short after that is when the weight set okay. came into the equation. So mm-hmm. I still had that stuff. But when I started training, I started getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And I started getting stronger mm-hmm. real fast. So, you know, I go into the seventh grade, which is kind of a new start. And when I started wrestling, I realized here's a tool that I can use that if I'm ever in that position again, I can actually get out of it. Mm. So during that wrestling season, just the, you know, with the weight training and the um, weight training that was going on with, with wrestling, it started to build that confidence to a certain degree just a little bit so when the powerlifting came it's like okay this is just like the wrestling 
you know, I'm starting at the bottom. There's no, there's no place lower to really go. Hmm. I can only go up. At the end of that season, I was running the stairs and waiting for my mom to pick me up. And I'm just, everybody's left and my mom was late and I just kept running it. And one of the coaches came by and said, what are you doing? Cause it's the end of the season. You know, like, why are you running the stairs? The season's over. And I told him, I don't ever want to get beat again. And he says, you keep working like this, you'll never get beat again. Coach Bill Mullen, you know, he changed my life with one statement. Hmm. And that one statement, you know, is what set that whole thing up. Took that into powerlifting to where, you know, I can get better. You know, I have people around me that can teach me how to get better. And I was very fortunate and blessed to have people who knew what they were doing. You know, I got big fast, Mm -hmm. real fast. (laughs) So I I very quickly became the person everybody was making fun of to the person nobody wanted to fuck with. And I already was very internalized and very, um, I don't want to say a misfit, but I didn't have a lot of friends. Isolated. Isolated, you know, and isolated on purpose, Mm -hmm. you know, every... Somebody would try to befriend me, and I just I didn't want any part of it. And I'd spend more time sitting under a tree, you know, by the golf course, just looking in the sky, than I would spend doing most anything else. What was funny to me is the story that you tell of going to that key gym mm-hmm. uh, with all the powerlifters, and it seemed to me like that was like the first time when your isolation, even if even if everyone felt isolated or alone, you were alone together, mm-hmm. you know. And so instead of being the one kid with the clock on your desk, instead of being the one kid that was beat up, whatever. Now you were the person doing something about it with a bunch of other people. And now you had your thing. You kind of yeah. felt like you've, you and fit into they, a place. They, ca- they cared too, because part of the story that I left out there is, you know, the chief for narcotics, I, I was getting in trouble. Before I turned 16, I already had like seven points on my license. They're on my ass. And they're like, look, you know, we're training every day, five days a week. That's how we train in here. You need to come from school straight here. And then that was until, you know, it was time to go home. And then I was at home. Powerlifting became my number one priority because it took me from the kid that was getting the shit kicked out of him that was getting in trouble all the time to the kid nobody wanted to fuck with right. that was actually now destroying people in wrestling and killing people in football. Football was something that I never really enjoyed. I did it because my dad wanted me to do it, and he put me in it from a really young age. My work ethic was high. I never backed off anything Mm because nobody was going to outwork me. Mm -hmm. Some of that comes from my dad. You know, some of that comes from the wrestling. Some of that comes from the guy telling me, if you work hard, you'll, Mm -hmm. you know, so it all comes from multiple different factors from that you're doing so well you know in all of these athletic things football wrestling powerlifting academically though still struggling quite a bit through all this what was it because you did go on to actually get you graduate you have a college degree yes what changed in you that made that possible through high school the it was easy all right, because I was still tracked LD. Everybody else may be taking biology. I was taking rock science. You, you, here's, a, here's 12 rocks, learn, learn their names. English, you know, I, I didn't take really any English courses. It was like writing. So you just sit and write something. Then it, actually one of the courses was reading. So I would just read Powerlifting USA. <laughs> um, so but literally I literally they just wanted you to read. That was the course. Yes, just sit yes. there and read. So it was just kind of sliding through. And 
so that that made it easy because and I was not an A student. I was still, I mean, to me, a D student, I could still play. The head coach changed between my junior and senior year. But the coach that came in didn't put up with that shit. Hmm. So he knew where I was tracked, but he made me take Algebra 2, which he taught, which I didn't even know what the hell Algebra was. And part of the deal was, you know, I had to take his class and then I had to report to the football office three times a week to be able to take that and then I got an A in that course hmm. so there was a little bit there triggered that you know I can do this but so I really didn't have any idea what I wanted to do with my life except power lift you know because that hmm. was still the first priority and my senior year I arranged it so the first five periods of every day I was in the weight room <laughs> and I wasn't even training. I was just showing other people how to lift weights because okay. it gave me a way to not have to sit in study hall and be bored. And they knew if I was, if I did have a study hall, I was going to skip it. So I spent that time showing people how to lift weights there. And I'm like, well, this is kind of cool showing people how to lift weights. Mm. That experience with that coach forcing me to do that kind of laid a little tiny foundation, but it was enough that I knew if I get into a school, you know, I can probably find a way to make it work if mm -hmm. I pick the right level courses mm -hmm. to be able to do it. My grade point was like, 1.59 which it, it wasn't even enough to graduate what they ended up doing was taking some of those times in the weight room for the whole year mm -hmm. and then found a way to give me credit for you know some like coaching or um, work study or something like that mm -hmm. to be able to get it up to like enough to be able to graduate okay so that made it hard Hmm. You know, I couldn't get into anywhere. You know, wow. I couldn't get any public school. It was just denial, denial, denial. But Tiffin took me because it was a newer school. It was a business-only school. And What do you mean by that? You mean, like, if you went there, your purpose was to start a business, be a bus in business management? What is what is the business? I, I still really didn't care. You know, okay. I, just, I just knew I had to be in college. Through high school, I did work as a fitness instructor in a club, but I also worked my summers in um, factories. You know, mm. it's a, kind of a little bit of a factory town, and I knew I didn't want to do that. Mm. It, it sucked, but that's kind of what everybody did. And that's kind of how I, how I was tracked, and, the, you know, the friends that I hung out with, that's, you know, what their goal was, but I didn't want to do that. So Tiffin was just the only place I could really go. And I went there, but the caveat there is I had to take courses that I did not take in high school. I had to take English. Mm. You know, I had to take algebra. I had to take biology. I had to take, and then once I got through those, there was a communication course, an accounting course, a finance course, um, marketing course. And so just basic level one business coursework. So, and it was a smaller school. I went through there, I ended up getting A's and B's, and I'm like, I can do this. Actually, I really can do this, you know. They were good teachers, especially the ones dealing with the algebra and the English and all that kind of stuff, because we were all kind of the same boat, either slid by because of sports or slid by for whatever reason, and now we got to try to fix them or they're never going to make it through. Wow. So they cared and helped and made a big difference, and then I'm like, I could get the fuck out of here. You know, because I don't know what I want to do, but the gym here sucks. 
you know, it was a YMCA, and I, I did bodybuilding at the time okay. because there were no powerlifters. I couldn't powerlift, and it was like this. I That's a get pretty. Was that a big switch for you? It seems like a big switch in terms of like. Yeah, it was, but I, I didn't have a choice. You know, I love lifting weights, and mm -hmm. it's like, well, fuck. If I don't have anybody to spot, and what am I yeah, going to do? Okay. Or if mm -hmm. they don't have the equipment, I can't. You know, I can't do it. And it's not like you need a whole lot of equipment. So it's just what I did, but then it's like, okay, I'm going to go to Bowling Green State University. And I went there, and it's like, okay, now they have a powerlifting gym, but this is like some kind of recreational bullshit. So I found a gym in Toledo that had, you know, powerlifters there and was training there and flunked out my first semester. I was not used to 300 students and one teacher that you can barely understand. And so after I flunked out, I came back and I think my grade point at that point in time was like a 0.75. You had to sit out a semester. So I had to come back home, which I did not want to do. Because when I left home, you know, to go to college the first time and I transferred over the summer, my goal was to never go back home again. Mm -hmm. So I had to go back home mm -hmm. and spend three, three months there with the hope of getting back into summer school. And I went to the high school, to the weight room, to be able to just catch up with the coaches that, you know, I knew that helped me. And the wrestling coach that I had that never really pushed for me to continue wrestling, I ran into him in the parking lot, and we were having a conversation. And well, one thing I found when I was at BGSU was something called a library, which, <laughs> you know, I never really went into before. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, I found, you know, the Soviet Sport Strength Review. I found the International Journal of Sport Nutrition. I found textbooks on strength and conditioning. I found textbooks on, you know, motor control. I found textbooks on, you know, anything related to strength. And it was, I would sit there all fucking day. Angel Spazov came to the United States many, many years ago for a tour. And it was documented when the NSCA journals and it's right over like four or five journals. And it was how the Bulgarians trained. Oh, and wow. it was intriguing. So I'm looking into that. Then I'm looking at why, you know, why why these methods? Why are they doing this? You're actively studying. You knew yeah, how to study. Yeah, yeah. You were so doing I'm trying it. to figure that, like, how is this going to work with powerlifting? Hmm. And then when I went back and I'm in the parking lot with this coach, I remember him saying, you know, how's school going? I'm like, ah, you know, it's, it's fine, you know. And I said, but listen to this. And I started going into this Bulgarian shit. And I'm <laughs> like, I think if we do this, and instead of actually using a max, we come up with some type of perceived max so we don't have to max out all the time. And then we work up and figure out what that max could be, but then base the percentage off of that and then work. And so this is going on for like 20 minutes. And yeah. he just stops me and he says, Dave, listen to me. How are you doing in school? Because he already knew. I didn't know he already knew. Yeah. And I said, I flunked out. I said, you know, I think I'll get a job. But, you know, if we can find some place that's got these power racks, <laughs> you know, and I'm kind of back on all this kind of stuff. And he, like, stops me again. He said, Dave, listen to me. You are not stupid. And it, he had to say it a few times before he got my attention because I kept, you know, they say that I'm, I you know, I'm going to look away, right? Yeah, right. And he, he caught my eye and he said, you are not stupid. You're just fucking lazy. And it hit, it, it stunned me. It's like, and that was kind of like the end of the conversation. It's like, I don't remember anything after that. He mm -hmm. could have turned around and walked away or we could have talked for another hour. I don't remember a thing. I just remember driving home and having to pull over and crying in the median.
because I didn't fucking know now. Hmm. You know, was I stupid or was I just being lazy? I got to go back. Hmm. You know, so I drove home and I told my mom, look, I still can get my job as a bouncer. I can still get my job managing the gym I was at. I'm going back. Hmm. And she said, but you can't take any classes. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to go back and I'm just going to work there, you know, pull more hours. Then when I went back, I went back with that question in mind. Am I stupid or am I lazy? Mm. And then it's like, okay, now I know my limitations. I'm not going to take more than two or three courses at a time. You know, so I would sign up for six courses and I would drop three that I thought were hard. Okay. I pick the courses by walking the shelves of the university bookstore. So no more syllabus, no more counselor, none of this. I just walked the shelves and found books that I thought were cool. And then I took those classes. So you weren't in like a program necessarily. Not you at were this just point. taking okay. Yeah, where I, when I went in it was business. Like mm-hmm. my parents wanted business. Everybody was pushing me for business. So that's kind of where the direction was. And I didn't know what it was. I just knew I wanted to fucking power lift. I'm looking at things like, well, the psychology would be cool because then I can learn how to use my mind better when I'm training, you know, and the communication is cool because if I am working as a trainer or a coach, at some point in time, I have to learn how to be able to communicate with that. So I'm picking all these courses based upon what I really thought I wanted to do in the future was still power lift, but at some point in time, I want to be able to show people how to lift weights, but mm-hmm. there was no avenue to be able to do that. After five, five years now of taking courses with no real purpose in <laughs> mind, except don't fail it. And keep in mind the whole time I am still helping to manage a gym or managing a gym. So at the very least, I'm thinking I can manage a health club or I can run a gym, do something along those lines. But all I need to do is graduate college. Mm-hmm. And after five years, I, I remember I started asking around, like, how many credit hours does it take to graduate? <laughs> I don't even know how many I have. You know, so I had to uh-huh. go to the administrator office and have uh-huh. everything printed out. And then we went to every college on campus and got their little you know, guide to what you had to take to graduate and spent three hours just checking off different boxes on all these different, you know, schools. So you had so, like portions of all yeah, these Yeah, to figure out like, I, I, fuck, I might be graduated now, you know? Uh, yeah. So we're like checking everything off. And I was one course away from graduating with a sociology degree. And I'm like, well, this is fucking interesting because I really don't know what you could even do with that. <laughs> but all I really wanted to do was graduate. But obviously, that's where my interests were. The only problem was I had to take a foreign language. And I tried four times before then. It's like three classes in one to me. You got to learn how to spell it, speak it, and conjugate it. Mm-hmm. It's like if it was just on spelling the words, I could probably pass it. Mm-hmm. You know, if they were three different courses over a period of time, I could probably do it. I could not do it. Mm -hmm. And that's not a lazy thing. You know, I tried, you know, and I think I tried four times and dropped before you would, you know, before the end date. And And there was no other option. That was it. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm transferring out of here. My grade point now is high enough because I never retook the courses I failed. Mm. All right. I was too scared to do that because that would fuck my GPA up. I knew I needed a 2.3 or 2.5 or whatever to graduate. I transferred to the University of Toledo, met with the guidance counselors. And they're, what do you want to do? I'm like, I really don't know, but I love fucking powerlifting. And that's all I do. So it's what I'm the best at. And I want to be around it in some way, some capacity. 
the rest of all my life. And she said, well, what do you think you would need to be the best power lifter if you were to try to teach that skill to somebody? Mm. I said, I need, you know, exercise physiology. I need kinesiology. I need biomechanics. I need um, psychology. I need communication skills. I need coaching skills. You know, so I'm just rambling off all this stuff. I need nutrition. You know, I need uh, nutritional biochemistry. I need to know how it works in the body. You know, I need all these different things. And she said, okay, we're going to create an independent studies based upon exercise science and nutrition. Huh. Laid it out. Says so it's going to take you two years, you know, to be able to finish these courses. But I really think you should go to Owens Tech, which is like a small tech school, and retake these two courses. And I'm like, man, if I do that and I fail them, you're not going to let me back in here. And she said, if you don't do them, you're going to think you're a failure the rest of your life, so it's not going to matter if you come back in here or not. Wow. All right, so, all right, I'm going to do this, but I'm only going to take one at a time. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm sitting in the microeconomics class. The, the teacher was doing such a good job of explaining. It's not that hard. Mm -hmm. And so I aced that. I'm like, holy, this is simple. Like, wow. why did this disrupt my entire educational career? But then mm -hmm. I, I always think, when I think stuff like that, I always think on the other end of the scale. You know, how did this change the trajectory of my life? Because look where I, you know, now I'm actually going to study what everybody told me I could never make money doing. Like, hmm. oh, you can't do that exercise shit. You can't make money doing that. You'll never make a career. You need to do the business. You need to do the business. And now I kind of put myself in a position where I had to do this. It's the only way I was going to be able to graduate. And I aced the other one, you know, so went back to the guidance counselor and she said, I told you. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, how did you know? And this was the first time I ever had a guidance counselor that gave a shit. Wow. I'm like, well, how did you know that? She said, Dave, they're not that hard of classes. <laughs> they really aren't. I'm like, well, why didn't you have me take them here? Smaller class size, more individual attention, wow. and so forth. And then from there, I went on to graduate with a 3.8. Because it took me five times as long as it would take anybody else. But, you know, I got through it and, and I did it. how long were you in school? Seven years. Seven years. Seven years for a bachelor's degree, mm. but it was also seven years to learn, you know, how to overcome adversity in life, seven years to figure out how to pivot, mm -hmm. you know, seven years of experience learning how to run a gym, mm -hmm. you know, seven years of knowing when you're in something too long, you know, <laughs> that, you know that type of thing. Yeah. We'll get back to my conversation with Dave Tate in a moment. Coming up, we talk about how his life and work changed to fit the needs of his family. Stay tuned. I want to take a moment to thank those of you who are listening to this show, even if this is your first time. I'm grateful for each person who chooses to listen when there's an infinite amount of podcasts to choose from. Thank you. I'm honored and would love if you shared your favorite thing from this podcast with me directly. You can share via a DM on Instagram at Rogue Ones Podcast or just using the form submission at rogueonespodcast.com. Thanks again, friend. Now, let's get back to this conversation with Dave Tate. We'll transition to his post-college life with the founding of Elite FTS, starting with meeting Louis Simmons, the founder of the infamous powerlifting club, Westside Barbell. I've known Louis Simmons since I was my first meet. You know, he would give advice in warm-up rooms. And, hmm. 
you know, she's like, hey, yeah, I tuck your elbows. It's just Louie being Louie. Uh-huh. But I caught his attention when I was doing a couple meets during that period of time in Toledo where he started saying, look, you need to come down and start training with us on the weekend. And so I started making trips from Toledo to Columbus to train. At Westside. At Westside. And that would have been around uh, 90 okay. and then eventually ended up moving to Columbus for that reason. And my wife's family is from Columbus. You founded this company, Lady FTS, with your wife. Mm-hmm. And you've actually, in these Q&As, people ask, if you could tell yourself 20 years mm-hmm. ago, what would you tell them? And both times, I think you've said, treat your wife better. That answer will never change. And it's been the same way for maybe six or seven years now. And it will always be the same. Do you feel like you treated her poorly? I know I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I did. Um, we went through a really rough patch and a lot of things were exposed, you know, through counseling or through her just flat out telling me that she wanted a divorce and that, mm. you know, the first 10 years of her marriage were terrible. Mm. You know, I still have to live with that. Mm. Okay. So I can do all I in my power to try to make up for it, but you, you don't, you can't replace 10 years. I can't change the 10 years. You know, I, I can't. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't change the things that I did. And it was, I was never physically abusive, but they're most definitely thinking back, I was mentally abusive. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I certainly was not present because powerlifting was my number one priority. Mm-hmm. You know, my son was born, I slept downstairs. I didn't want the baby waking me up. I needed my sleep to be able to train, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, after X amount of years and even her, telling me during that time frame, you know, she really didn't know walking down the aisle if it was the right decision. Fortunately, you know, we we made it through that and our relationship is probably better than it would have been had none of that happened. So, you know, it's five times better than it was, you know, but I'm not going to sit there and say that those 10 years were great because it's five times better now. Had I not been like that, had I not been so fucking selfish about everything and and was more present and inclu- you know, inclusive and so forth, then I, I, I may have done better in the sport because hmm. I would have had more support. Mm-hmm. I would have had support from mm-hmm. my biggest fan. I don't regret the training. I don't regret the injuries. I don't regret... You know, the fact that it took longer to get through school or slower to grow a business or any of those other things associated with when you're all in. I don't regret all those other things, but that I do. You do. I do. And I always will. And you have such a high respect for your wife. Mm -hmm. Where did you two meet? In Bowling Green. And it was um, my roommate at the time was a national level bodybuilder. His girlfriend knew Tracy. So for some odd reason, I was training at the the university weight room, which was four lifters. It wasn't the rec center. It was like four lifters. But to me, it was still, they weren't serious enough for me, which is why I was going to Toledo. But for some reason, if it was snow or whatever it was, we weren't able to make it Mm. to where we would normally go. So we trained there and introductions were kind of made. But one of the funny stories with that was, the pull-down machine, I used to use all the weights on the stack, and then I would start, like, finding ways to hang 45-pound plates off the side of the stacks because <laughs> it wasn't enough weight. 
and I would wear one of those um, handkerchiefs, like a do rag, yeah, you know, over my head and tuck it through the back. You know, this is and this is going way back, like complete eighties bodybuilding shit. You know, uh, baggy pants with stupid, you know, uh, pattern prints. You American know, flag uh, pants, I hope. I never wore the flags. Oh. I always wore the other stupid ones, though. Because <laughs> I'm like, the flags are dumb, but cheetah pattern, that's cool. <laughs> you know, so, and so I'm wearing this stupid shit with a boat neck sweatshirt because it's just kind of what you did. Wow. And I'm pulling on these pull downs. And, you know, she's in the back with uh, Raquel, was her name, you know, watching as we're training and the fucking cable breaks. <laughs> and I end up rolling over backwards off of the lap machine. You know, so that was our introduction. I'm like, after I break this, you know, <laughs> Vinny's like, hey, man, you got to come over here. You got to meet her. And so then no. like, <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is awesome. She knows I'm strong as fuck. I just broke the machine, you know. Okay. Every girl's going to be impressed with this. You know, the do-rags had to help, too. And, um, <laughs> and my cheetah pants. Yeah. So he set up a, like a double date thing where we went to a movie, which I can't remember what it was. It was some Bill Murray thing. That That was it. You know, I didn't. We just started dating from there, and was, I mean, it's, I didn't have a whole lot of time, you know, because of training and the bouncing and all the other kind of stuff. But that's how we met. Was and then that. you founded this. You founded Elite. Mm-hmm. What was that? What precipitated that? A series of events. So when I was at Westside, after I got to Columbus, I ended up landing a job as a personal trainer in a corporate fitness facility. Mm-hmm. They were known for their dining, and then upstairs had a full squash courts and weight room and so forth. So I was hired to work there and spent eight years working there. And while I was working there, I built my clientele up to the point where I was training clients from 5 in the morning till 10 at night. Mm. And the only time I didn't train clients is between 8 a.m. and 11.30 when I would leave to go train at Westside. Mm. And then I would come back and then train the clients the rest of the time. You know, I always say it doesn't matter what job you have. You know, there's always going to be a certain percentage of that job that you just don't like. A lot of people are lucky if they have 10% of the job that they really, really love. If they have that, you know, to keep it, you know, because you could end up in a job that it's 100% that you don't like. Yeah. So when... I was with Louie. He mentored me as well as being part of Westside, which was an experience in itself that spanned 14 years. I was helping him with seminars he was doing. I was helping him with consultations he was doing. Coaches were coming into town every weekend. So a lot of the times I'd hang around, you know, just to listen. Louie had coaches in there from the NFL. I think every NFL team over the period of the 14 years I was there, Almost every single one of them visited Wow! or we went, mm-hmm. you know, one or the other. And it got to a point where he just kind of got tired of doing it. And I started doing the seminars for him and the consultations for him. And then that branched out to he really didn't want anything to do with that. It's just you just go ahead and do it. Mm. So I was started. That's where this entity started at the same time Tracy wanted to start trying to do personal training like in home so she set up the business entity for that and just it never really did anything Mm. and she trained at Westside for a few years as well one night she was in the gym complaining about her job and Louie asked her you know why don't you just take over all the crap that I sell and it wasn't a lot of product it wasn't a lot of inventory I'd say it may be or maybe three thousand dollars total But during this time period, it was, my first son was born. 
And I, I rarely saw my dad because he worked all the time, mm. you know. And it, if it was, we need to go on vacation, well, we can't do that. You know, the store's open Saturday and Sunday, you know, so even weekend stuff. And he always made it to my football games, you know, but, you know, anything else, mm -hmm. you know, he was never there. It was retail, you know, so he had to be there, you know, and he was in the same position that a lot of other people are. You know, he had one sales guy and that was really it. So if he wasn't there, it had to be him. So I, I didn't want to be that. And so know. far in the timeline, you're at West Side from 8 to 11, you said. Yeah. And your wife is there at night. Yes. And then in the middle, you're training them. Did you see each other at all? When did you when, when did I you got get to home, see each other? Yeah. Like 9 o'clock at night, mm -hmm. you know, 10 o'clock at night. But then you throw a, uh, your son into the mix and then. Uh, yeah, and I realized I'm never going to see my kid. Mm. I was completely full, you know, with my hours. All these kind of things were all coming together at the same time. And then the consulting started to expand a little bit more. And I had a really good relationship with the manager of the, of the overall club, not just the health club, but the overall club. And spoke to him and told him that I wanted to move my position to an independent contractor. And I told him of the consulting and I told him of that. And I said, the only way I'm going to be able to actually build this and be able to get to a position to where I'm not going to be working all day in the same place like the hours don't bother me i still work a lot of hours now mm -hmm. the location does you know like when it's 80 hours in the same location mm -hmm. that's a problem if it was you know some hours at home you know some hours at barnes and noble or whatever where mm -hmm. i'll still i can i still work mm -hmm. you know the same number of hours he appreciated that but he also became a mentor because of that mm -hmm. So then when I had, you know, free time and I didn't have anything to do, we just sat and talked business. <laughs> it's like, well, what would you do? And then he pulled in some of my best clients. And hmm. for a couple hours, we just sat around a table and we just started brainstorming things like, what do you really want to do? Like, I want to help people become stronger. Well, how many people? Well, as many as I can. What do you understand that's limited? Like you do that here, but it's limited to the 80 clients, 100 clients that you have here. If you had your own facility, it's going to be limited to that. Is there a way that you can do this in a more broad sense? And I'm like, well, I am answering a lot of questions, you know, online, you know, through this deepsquatter.com site. So maybe something. Is that the first place that you kind of were on online? Yeah. When I first got on, first got a computer, you know, the first thing you're searching is this. And I saw there's a Q&A about Westside Barbell. And a lot of the answers were, they weren't. Correct. They weren't totally wrong, but they, they also weren't what we were doing. So I reached out to the guy and said, you know, do you need a little help here? Because I am in the club. You know, mm. I've been here for a long time. I know exactly what we do. I actually mm -hmm. give seminars on it. I ended up doing a seminar from that, a question that somebody saw on that page that called. And I went to do the seminar and it was in South Carolina and driving to dinner after the seminar, somebody in the back seat had said, have you ever thought about having a website? And I said, well, I kind of have one now. He's like, well, no, you don't. You know, what you have is called a banner site. <laughs> it's like, it's a, it's, it's a page and it's got a list of your products. I said, that's not a banner website. Banner site, is that what they called them? Instead yeah. of a landing page? Yeah, now it was just a banner. Yeah, it was just yeah. a banner site. Mm -hmm. It's just very, very simple, nothing clickable. It's just, there it is. And um, I'm like, yeah, I can't really afford anything. I got a buddy that's working on something right now, you know, and it ended up being like a forum, but it wasn't a forum. It was a Q and a, mm. 
And I'm like, well, yeah, fuck. I mean, if I'm going to be a beta test thing, it's not going to cost me anything. I'll be more willing to do that. Yeah. So the the site started as a Q and A. So when people see all the Instagram AMAs and like, oh man, this is amazing. I can't believe you're doing that. It's like, you, you guys, you, you don't know the history here, man. I've been answering, you know, 500 to a thousand questions per month since 1998. Jeez. You know, it's just the median changes. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple years where there wasn't one, you know, where when we moved to the new site, we had a and a on there and it just didn't pop because social media. Yeah. You know, social media took that aspect away and it just now with this ama on instagram kind of brought it back i'm like oh this is cool now Mm -hmm. i got this back i can do this again and be able to fill that and put that back in there and but it's been going on since forever Mm -hmm. and then people through those you know through that q a starts asking well where do i get these bands where do i get these books and you're already selling louis stuff right the almost almost i mean we were we weren't we were considering it okay all right but now all of a sudden it's all coming together it's like Uh no wait a minute louis just asked my wife okay you know about these these and these and people are asking about these these and these and they're like well can you add a store to this Uh I don't know. <laughs> you know, I got to ask the guy that's doing the website for me for free if he yeah. can build a store for free, mm-hmm. you know? And he's like, yeah, what the hell? So it all started from Q&As, you know, out of just wanting to help people become stronger. If you've been tracking with us, you know Dave's timeline. Grew up bullied and confused, found the gym, and it all changed. He finishes college, trains in the most epic powerlifting club of all time, becomes a household name, if your household is into any sort of strength sport like mine is, and then starts his company, founded on the principle of giving away information for completely free. I wanted to hear more about why and how. Why did he feel the deep-seated need to be so open with his information he worked so hard to obtain? Why was his experience in high school sports teams so fundamental to his philosophy all these years later? How does his business sustain this kind of model? How did his childhood experience impact the way he fathers his children? And finally, how can we aim for living a fruitful and remarkable life? And that's that's been something that you've been passionate about. And that's one of, I think, probably one of the main things that anyone would take away from you if they spend any amount of time watching your stuff, listening to your talks. You have this attitude of, um, I think you call it benevolence mm-hmm. in one of your chapters going back to those guys in the gym, right, that that poured into you and answered your questions. What else contributed to this? I mean, it is, I think you gave a talk just this weekend because my husband was at your summit mm-hmm. about giving, giving for no reason at all, giving, mm-hmm. giving without anything in coming back to you. How does that play into what you're doing now? Um, if I want to be... 100% forthright. I mean, we just came off of Easter, right? You know, somebody gave for me the ultimate sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk about giving back, mm-hmm. you know, I'm already forgiven for any sin, you know, that I would create, you know, and that's expecting nothing in return. And is that, did you grow up in a faith-based household? I grew up under a different, so it was Methodist for a while, and then it was Baptist for a while, and then it was like nothing for a while. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, I got older and really started to get hit with hard adversity mm-hmm. that I started wondering, like, what's, 
what's the real thing going on here? You know, what, what's the big picture? Faith is, is, it's a big part of my life. And it's, it's a weird thing because online you got to be careful about how you say that because you're going to end up being slammed. But mm-hmm. even regardless of whatever somebody feels their religious base is, if it's even none at all, faith is still faith. Mm-hmm. You know, faith is still believing in something that you don't know is real, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you, to me, you have to have that to survive in life because mm. how else are you going to get through adversity? I mean, shit gets hard sometimes. So I've never, ever thought that, you know, and it's, it can be hard. I've never thought through the hardest times that, you know what, this is it. You know, mm. it's always like, you know what, it sucks and it's hard, but at some point in time, it's going to be okay. It, not everything happens for a reason. I can't justify that, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if I believe that. Mm-hmm. All right. But things are going to be okay. It may take time. That helps you get through, you know, some of the darkest times. You know, it helps you get through darker times than you got through before. Because you never know what the future is going to bring. You know, part of the whole live, learn, pass on thing I talk about is with the live part, you can't predict the future, but you can prepare for it. And you can't change the past, but you can learn from it. But you can live in the present, which you should pay attention to. Hmm. All those people from those guys in the gym that my dad dropped me off at the first time to the coaches I gave the examples of, you know, they helped me tremendously with technique and powerlifting and so forth. And then there's Louis Simmons. And then, you know, there's Buddy Morris. And then I just keep going down the line. There's all these people that helped me, you know, with training. And then there's a list of people that kind of helped me with business. It's just as advice and so forth that they never charged me anything. Mm. So I kind of feel I owe it to them to be able to, to pass on, you know, to other people. Part of the reason why <laughs> Elite FTS does what it does and what I've always done is to be able to put education out there for free we have over a million pages that's gone out for 20 years and that's all been supported by producing the highest quality equipment and products that we can that we use to bring to market to help coaches and athletes become better and at the same time the better that does and the more of our products go out into the market the more that our brand is seen if they're using our brand logo instead of theirs and the more revenue it can generate that allows us to put out Hmm. more free content content. you know Mm -hmm. so it's not just buying a power rack or buying a pair of knee wraps what it's actually doing is helping us to keep putting out more education. Mm. The people that have learned from Elite FTS for the past 10, 15, 20 years, you know, by them purchasing and supporting the stuff that we put out is allowing the newer coaches to have the same opportunity that they had Mm. to have access to the best, most current information Mm -hmm. so they can become 
you know, the same thing that they have. It doesn't have to be a huge, big moment. It can be one coach walking in the dark that sees a kid running the stairs in the darkness that just says, you know, why, why are you doing this? And the kid says, because I don't want to be beat again, and then follows up with, if you keep doing this, you'll never get beat. One question, one answer, mm -hmm. you know, that you put out there can be the answer that changes the trajectory. It may not change their life, but if you change the trajectory just a, just a notch, you know, it ends up being a completely different outcome. That's why I do what I do, you know, and it, it, it's always been that way. Mm -hmm. Somebody was to dig deep to try to figure out why, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, imagine if you had come into it in all the other areas of your life, you weren't, you didn't feel like you were, you felt isolated and alone. And imagine if you had also come into this activity and weren't met with open arms. And I'd you be were. In jail. I either would have killed myself or been in jail. I mean, at the point in my life at that time, it would have been one of those two things. I'm, I'm 100% certain on mm -hmm. that. You know, it wouldn't have been stumbling through being in a factory. You know, there's no doubt in my mind, you know, so. That's just being present, mm. you know? And I think that's why we're put here, to help other people. I, I don't see any other reason why we're put on this earth. You know, are we put here to kill each other? Mm. You know, I hope not. You know, so if we're not here to kill each other, are we here to be selfish? I really don't think that would be it either. So I want to talk about Dave Tate as a dad, because mm -hmm. you mentioned your son was born. Both of your sons are adopted? Yes. Um, and I think I remember the story you said at one point that, um, I think, was it your first son where the mom said to take care of him mm -hmm. as you're carrying him out of the hospital? How did it change once you became a dad? Well, I mean, it changed everything. You know, it's, that moment was just right there. That was a defining moment for me because it was... You know, from a, going back to the whole giving standpoint, you know, you got some people that won't loan somebody a quarter to make a phone call. And mm -hmm. I think that's what I wrote in the book. Mm -hmm. And this, this lady knew she couldn't take care of this child and gives away a life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it hit me hard, you know, and that's, that's why I went back. And all of a sudden I'm looking at my work schedule and I'm like, this, this, I can't fulfill this promise doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this isn't going to work. I have to find a way to change this. Like, okay, I know I want to be able to see my son. I want to see him step. You know, I want to see him crawl. You know, I want to see him walk. You know, I want to see all these things that, for the first time, that I know for a fact most parents miss, but babysitters see. Mm. It's like, I don't want that to be the case. You know, how can I make this happen to where... I can work from home, and then if I miss it, it's just because I was answering an email and it's like, oh yeah. shit, you know. I can live with that because yeah. at least I'll see the second one, you know what I'm saying? It's not like sure. I'm gonna come home and have a babysitter say, hey, Blaine made his first step today. Be like, mm. that's not filling that promise, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it's, it's not just that promise. It was how I wanted to be as a father because my father, well, he loved me tremendously, he gave me great advice, you know, and I mean, he didn't beat me, he wasn't, he just wasn't present. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be one that's present, you know, so I'm still home when they get off the bus. When mm -hmm. he gets off the bus, I'm still home. 
and my oldest has autism. So he may come home and then go down and take a nap for an hour and then come back up and work on his computer and do whatever he does for an hour. And then we'll have dinner, whatever it is. And he, he is verbal, mm -hmm. but he just won't say anything. That's fine. I got my laptop. You know, I'm just, I'm just doing oh, whatever I'm just, yeah, I'm just doing my work. I'm just, but maybe on that third or fourth day, you know, it happens every week, maybe every couple of weeks. He comes in, he sits down on the couch. He's like, man, you know what happened today? You know, mm -hmm. now what if I wasn't there? You know, if I get home later, he's not going to say, hey, guess what happened today? You know, so that's that's the benefit of being present, mm -hmm. going back to the importance of that. And we are actually talking in April, the very tail end of April, which is Autism Awareness Month. And you've been so open this month about your son and how um, just all of the ways that it's kind of brought new ways of looking at things mm -hmm. in your own life. Do you see any sort of parallels between the way that your childhood was with feeling isolated, difficulty in school, and how has that influenced the way that you've raised your son? It was bad at the beginning. It was really bad. You know, as we were going through early intervention, working in the school systems was very hard for me. Tracy helped me a lot during this time because I was having a hard time separating myself from him. You know, it's like, I know this shit and it's not going to happen to him, you know, and, but it led to a lot of anger, you know, and it led to a lot of quick conclusions. Uh, the biggest being, I know he is not going to be labeled autistic. I know what it's like to be labeled learning disabled. He is not going, I mean, fighting that hard, you know, until finally, you know, one of the, psychology one of the teachers or psychologist well, somebody finally kind of got through and said you know if you don't embrace this the, basically said this isn't like when you were young if you don't embrace this you're not going you will not get the help that you need mm -hmm. you know he will not have an individual education pro he won't have an iep he needs that iep and i i can't disagree with that i don't know how he thinks and that's part of you know well, autistic so kids. One know. of these videos was talking about um, he has a trainer mm -hmm. that works with him, and you were talking about squatting. Mm -hmm. You love you love squatting. You thought it was the coolest thing ever, and you. I don't know if you said you couldn't figure out why he didn't like it or something, mm -hmm. but eventually it kind of clicked that when he sees, and certainly the people that you have squatting in this facility are squatting a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. He's not he's not around some mm -hmm. hobbyist, you know, guys in a random gym. He's seeing guys that are bleeding from the forehead because they are squatting so much weight. And to him that translates as, ah, pain, I don't want to, I don't want to mm -hmm. do that, right? Mm -hmm. And so was, I'm sure that is just like, throughout his life you've noticed these things that suddenly there's just a massive difference in the way in which you're looking at the same yeah. thing and he, he he sees things obviously differently and because he's adopted i guess it kind of throws another little ring in there because you know genetically you can kind of think ah you know parents kind of think a little bit mm. like you know so that's why you'll hear you know, you'll at some point in time, you'll start saying the same things that your mom said and you don't yeah. really know why. You know, it's just kind of that little connection that's in there where I don't have that. And it's kind of a good thing because it's a constant process of discovery and trying to figure out what he really needs, what he really wants, you know, and so forth. And and that's no different than with my other son from that standpoint. 
but from the the training issue my my fear with both of them is Blaine needed it because there's sensory processing disorder so there's communication or coordination you know balance things like that that needed to be developed and have been developed so it helped at an early age but it had to be fun and you know I wasn't able to make it fun because I'm dad so even though I'm trying to make it fun you know it's really not even if I brought him in by himself it really wasn't he just wanted to play his video game for me training changed my life completely changed my life it may not change their life but I want it to be something that is an opportunity that they can use to be able to cope with stress you know, if they ever get into compromised health, we'll be able to use it to be able to increase their health. You know, I want it to be a tool that they don't hate. Hmm. So I will never force that on them. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's the other part of me of it's what I know best. Mm-hmm. So the greatest gift I can really give them outside of love is to be able to teach them how to train. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to blow that. So if it takes till they're 21 and they're like, man, I really want to learn how to work out. I would want to I can do, I'll be there. Yeah. You know, I'll wait for that. I'd rather wait for that than try to force them as a 15 or 16 year old to try to come in to get strong just so they can, you know, be the baddest person in school. You know, I don't want them to have to train under the same pretenses that I've had to train under. And fortunately they haven't had to grow up with those same type of circumstances, but everybody grows up with their own circumstances. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. as a parent, do you understand what your kid's circumstances are or not? And I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's a question any parent can ever answer. One of the things we talk about on this podcast is remarkable living um, and fruitful living, not necessarily success, mm-hmm. but but fruitful, remarkable lives. And that's something that certainly you've had. What is the number one thing you would say to someone who is looking at the life ahead of them and thinking, I, I want to be able to look back and see a very fruitful and remarkable life? Find a good partner to walk the road with. That would be the best advice mm-hmm. I can say. You know, there's in sickness and health and, you know, all, all these things change. You know, money mm. changes. Yeah. You know, it can come in, it can go away. You know, health changes. It can get bad, it can go away. Looks change. It can be great, it can get, you know, ugly. You know, you know, <laughs> physiques change. It can be good, it can get ugly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got the right person that you're walking down the path with, all those things, they, they don't matter. You know, you have somebody that cares so if you can find that one person you know that can care unconditionally to be able to walk that road with you you know you really don't need anything else Hmm. Hmm. that's great you can find dave on instagram at under the bar and i do suggest picking up his books they're called under the bar and raising the bar you can find links to these along with all episodes past and present at rogueonespodcast.com Thanks to the team at Elite FTS for allowing me to come to the gym and record this special episode. And thanks to Ryan at Sick Island Studios, as always, for mixing and mastering what you heard today. And if you're still listening, I have a special treat for you. If you know me at all, you know that dog sled racing could be considered my favorite sport, and the Iditarod is like the Super Bowl of this sport. Lance Mackey, four-time Iditarod champion, came on this podcast last year, 
And it turns out Dave listened to that episode. Who'd have known he's also an Iditarod fan? And we geek out for a while when he tells me this. Please enjoy. I still oh. want to sit and ask you about Mackie so bad because it's <gasps> fucking whacked. But what? Yeah. Are you an Iditarod person? Oh, yeah. I, I used to have uh, Malamutes. Dave, yeah. I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah, I used to have Malamutes. Oh, my gosh. I didn't raise them, obviously. This interview might just be but completely derailed. What, yeah, if you want to talk about Malamutes, I can talk about them because they are the worst dogs in the world to have yeah? as pets. My first one was 185 pounds when it was full grown. And, oh. and, I mean, it's to walk and put its head on the table. Anyhow, it's... Oh, man, we can stuff. talk about Mackie. Yeah. We can oh, talk yeah. about Mackie. His, the 2019, him, I was a wreck this year watching the 2019 <laughs> race because you just... And he called it his snooze and booze cruise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, man, I cried when he crossed that finish line. I was mm-hmm. bawling. I haven't followed him, I guess, for since 2018. But just the story in general is... That's that's an amazing story. Uh huh. Amazing story. You know, yeah. Amazing dude. Oh my gosh! I'm so, yeah, I had no idea you you yeah. were a Iditarod yeah. person. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was big time into it for a while. And Jeez. Now I need to get back into it a little bit more because yeah, you now do. you can see it. Yes, you, know you can. Where before it was just like uh, refreshing internet browsers to be able to see what's going on. <laughs> that live feed, I had it up yeah. at all times watching that. That's great. Yeah. No, it was, was great. I'm going yeah. next year. I hope. Well, good luck with that. Business picks up. Yeah. I'm going next year. <laughs> That's Alaska, so have fun. Yeah, I'll just you have know. to get a big old coat. Yeah.